Our ability to feel deeply is a gift from God, and our emotional health plays an important role in how we interact with other people, for better or for worse. Understanding what emotional health looks like biblically and learning how to discipline our unwanted emotions will lead to stronger relationships in every area of our lives. Join us for this new message series as we learn together how to deal with what we feel. Well, as I transition into our message today, we're in the middle of a series called Mixed Emotions, How to Deal with What You Feel. And how many know your feelings are often connected to stuff going on in your life? Now, sometimes it's connected to things that are real. Sometimes it's connected to things that seem real, but they're not. But we often find our times in, uh, ourselves in times and in situations where our emotions get the best of us and cause us to make bad decisions. And so what we're doing is kind of examining what the Word of God has to say to us about different human situations, some uh, emotions that we feel and sometimes situations that we find ourselves in. Um, I've said this the last few times, but I see a few new faces here today, so I'll just mention this. You know, when Pastor Stephen and I were talking about doing this series, I I was thinking, do we really want to talk eight weeks about emotions and feelings and like tough stuff? And then I realized that like every bad decision I ever made in my life came from me being in, a, in the wrong emotional space and leaning more on my heart than on God's word. And I said, yes, we have to do it uh, because I need it. I need to help write and preach this and our people definitely need it. So I'm excited to keep going. And today we're going to be talking about this idea of when I feel conflicted or another way to say it is when I'm experiencing conflict. Conflict, yeah, just what you wanted to come to church and talk about today, conflict. I do want to say, dealing with conflict is not a temperament issue. Some people will say, well, you know, you're just wired that way, so that's why you're good at conflict. Maybe, uh, maybe it makes it a little easier for some temperaments over others to step into conflict, but I believe actually it's a biblical truth that handling conflict in the right way is a call to all Christians, to all followers of Jesus. So I think that one of the most important skills that we can learn as people who are trying to reach and build the kingdom of God is to learn how to deal with conflict well. I think I can say, after many, many years in working in church environments and being in church leadership, one of the single largest problems that I have seen plague teams, plague churches, plague families, is poorly handled conflict. People not handling conflict the right way or at all has to be one of the single largest things that I have seen that has caused division amongst God's people. There's a couple truths that when we examine together show us, I think, exactly why this comes up so often. The first is because conflict is everywhere. I mean, you can wake up in the morning and you went to bed and everything was good and you wake up and you just discover you're in conflict. You don't know what happened. You're not sure how you got there. If you're raising teenagers, then you really understand this because like one minute you're their favorite person and then nothing will happen and then they're mad at you and you don't even know why, right? So if you've ever raised kids, you know this, but it can happen in your marriage too, you know? Uh, This morning I woke up, I was laying in my bed, I was praying, Lord, I need you, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to come and meet the great people of the church and deliver your word and experience your presence. And I was all like feeling good and I get out of bed and I'm walking in the dark and uh, we, me and my wife, we like to sleep with a box fan on, a little bit of noise. I'm talking about any other box fan sleepers in the room. Come on, somebody. That's the real saved Christians right there. I'm just kidding. It's okay. If you don't need a box fan, it's probably because your soul's at peace more than mine. So, um, but I get up and I'm trying to walk and that box fan was about three inches further towards the 
bathroom door than it normally is, and I'm walking the door, and I just, boom, trip over that thing. And uh, how many know, me and that box fan had some conflict immediately. Uh, <laughs> and that, that stuff will meet you when you least expect it. So conflict is everywhere, but number two, most people, most people are really bad at handling conflict. And I say this because, in a sense, like, I'm in the people business. And you know people. You all uh, surround, with, surround your lives with people. Everything we do, everything in life is about people. But if you've been in a situation where you have to lead people, you start to find out really quickly that most people are terrible at handling conflict. And I think it's because we don't teach on it enough. We, especially in the church, we don't teach God's people what the Word of God says about how to deal with conflict. So you came to the right church today, and we're going to deal with it. I don't think we can overstate, by the way, that it's one of the most important things we can do because, again, you cannot be in unity and in conflict at the same time. And the Bible says that where God's people dwell in unity, there he commands a blessing. And some of the reasons that we don't experience God's blessing in our lives is because we don't live in community, or excuse me, in unity, in community, but we live in conflict and chaos with each other. And God just looks and goes, I can't bless that. I can't bless that. So today I want to take some time and talk about how to biblically respond to conflict. Let's start by looking at Romans chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. Ashley and I were having dinner with some people last night, and they're like, man, uh, you guys use a lot of scripture uh, in church. And she's like, I know those sword drills from when I was a kid come in handy because uh, we do so many. And so if you haven't done a sword drill before, what that is, you should do this at home. You just call out a chapter and verse in the Bible and you see who can get to it first. And the first one who gets there, you know, gets a Jolly Rancher or something. So anyway, those of you who practice sword drills, you probably get there quicker than the others. All right, I'll let you buy some time there. Romans 12, 17 to 18 says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone, and if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. What's God saying here? Here's what he's saying. Hey, I know you don't want conflict. I know you don't want to have arguments, but it's going to happen. And when it happens, do your part. Do what you can do. And I think this is what it means when he says, as far as possible, as it depends on you. And there's something we have to understand here uh, when God says, if it's possible. What he's letting you know is that you need to do what's right and don't worry about being able to control other people. Sometimes it's impossible to not have conflict because some people just demand it. You know anybody like that in your life? They just demand conflict. Like you try everything you can to be patient, to be kind, to be loving and supportive, and they just want to fight. Sometimes it's impossible, but God says, so far... As it's possible, do this. Now, this statement also, I have to say this, it has the built-in assumption that for you and me as followers of Jesus, doing what is possible is in the confines of what is also righteous. Sometimes, sometimes there can become a problem where when you try to hold a righteous standard, it becomes impossible to not also be in conflict with people who do not. And this is tricky. Because we live in a world where righteous standard is not the standard that the world lives by. And people will demand things of you in order to have peace with you that if you give into and come to agreement with, you have now stepped into disagreement and conflict with God and with his word. So when you find yourself in a place where you have two choices, and, and choice number one is, I cannot be in conflict with a person by just agreeing with what they say and living the way they want me to live, or... 
I'm going to end up being in conflict with God. Let me just tell you, maintain your peace with God instead of your peace with people. If it's not possible to maintain peace with God and maintain peace with people, then it's not possible to maintain peace with those people. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be ugly about it. It doesn't mean we have to be rude and mean. But what I am saying is there's some people who have kind of twisted this to say we have to just let everybody be what they want to be, say what they want to say, believe what they want to believe, and we have to affirm all of that. And, and I'm just telling you there's some moments in time where you just look and go, I do love you, and I want God's best for you, but I'm going to maintain the standard of God's word. And sometimes... That may mean that you end up in a place of conflict. But God's desire is not that we remain there. And I do think that most conflict can be resolved, especially, especially when we're talking about two Christians who decide God's word is the final arbiter about how we live, move, and have our being. Amen? All right. So we don't do it perfectly all the time, though. And so this means that we're going to have unresolved conflict in our lives. Or to say it another way, unresolved conflict is, is, is going to produce at least three devastating things in your life if you don't learn how to deal with them. So let me just problematize here for a minute and talk about some of the three issues that come from unresolved conflict. Number one, unresolved conflict hinders our relationship with God. Hinders our relationship with God. Let's look at this. 1 John 4.20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. John is so sweet sometimes. Have you noticed that? Oh, you love God, but you hate him. Liar. Thank you, John. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. Pretty tough words right there, right? But there really are words to live by. Because if you don't, you can expect the opposite of life in your relationships. Living like this will produce life. Living in other ways will produce the opposite of life, which is death. I've heard it said that failing to resolve conflict and failing to forgive is kind of like drinking poison yourself and hoping it kills the other person. Sometimes we don't resolve conflict because we don't want to forgive someone and we need to actually forgive them and release them in order for the conflict to be resolved. And we don't because we're right. I'm right about this. But the I'm right and I won't forgive literally is like drinking poison and hope that it hurts the other person. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually some verses in the Bible. God loves people, no doubt. Jesus came and gave his life for us because he loves us. But there's actually some verses in the Bible that say that there's some people God hates. I know I got real quiet when I said that. Listen, let me just tell you, it's not my job to protect you from your Bible. It is my job to help make sure that I give you the word, okay? So how about let's just do that. Let me just give you the word. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says this. Buckle up. <laughs> there are six things the Lord hates. All right. No seven that he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in the family. How many of you have ever heard somebody say, man, I love God, but I just really don't like the church. I just really don't like God's people. If it wasn't enough to read from 1 John, let's look at what Paul says in Galatians 6.10. He says this, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. 
Listen, if you want God to oppose your life, I don't think that's what you want, but I'll just tell you, just in case, you're like, I think I just want to wrestle with God for a while. If you want God to oppose your life, here's what you can do. Go ahead and lock into conflict with someone else, get real prideful, treat them poorly, don't forgive them, and never make peace with them. And that's the recipe to make sure that the God who made you is in opposition to you. If you want that, if you want God to oppose you, do that stuff. Have conflict. Treat people bad. Never forgive anyone. And refuse to make peace. If you do that, you can guarantee that God is going to oppose you. Which leads to the second way unresolved, hurt, uh, unresolved conflict can hurt you. Number two, it hinders your prayers. Unresolved conflict will hinder your prayer life. So when you're laying in bed and you're crying out to God and asking him to come and to help you with something, but you haven't forgiven, released, made peace with other people, the Bible says God may not want to listen to you right now. Let's look at this. Matthew 5, 23 and 24 says this. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and therefore you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, You leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come back and give your gift. Now what is this saying? I think what this is saying is your relationships with people are so important you can't give your way out of them. God doesn't want you to be in conflict. You can't just go around and blow up every relationship around you and then come to church and throw a 20 in the plate and go, all right, God bless my life. He's going to keep your 20 and go make things right with the people who you've wronged. That's what I want from you. Do that, then come back. Then come back and give your offering. Then come back and give your worship. Then come raise your hands and sing, our God is an awesome God, right? All right, you gotta make right with people or God's just gonna patiently wait for you to do so. That's what it's saying right there in Matthew. After all, didn't Jesus say, whatever you do to the least of these brothers of mine, you have also done unto me. See, this cuts both ways. This means that if you do something kind and benevolent and helpful towards someone else, Jesus receives that as if you have done it for him. But it also means that if you are being arrogant and hard-hearted and mean and spiteful and unforgiving towards other people, that is your disposition towards Jesus himself. So if you want to be at peace with God, start by treating people right. Okay, number three. Unresolved conflict also hinders. I'm almost done. We're going to set this up, and then we're going to talk about a few ways to solve the problems. But number three, it also hinders our spiritual maturity. Unresolved conflict will hinder your spiritual maturity. Remember, I said earlier, you can't be in conflict and in unity at the same time. So Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, come on, sword drill, says this. If you didn't bring your Bible, put it on the screen. Everybody wins. All right. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son, listen to this, so that we will be mature, say mature, in the Lord, measuring up to the full, say full, and complete standard of Christ. See, our goal is to grow. As Christians, our goal is to grow. We're saved in one place. God doesn't want us to stay that way. His goal for us is to grow. 
And the growth is according to the measure of the standard of Christ. And unity is a central aspect of that. Again, you cannot have unity and unresolved conflict at the same time. Which is what this, this is what this means. The more you allow conflict to remain unresolved, Again, especially among Christians and especially where there's something you can do to solve it. We're going to go with that presupposition for the rest of the day. That you can do something about it because most conflicts you can. The longer you let that go unresolved, the farther you are from being who God's called you to be. I'll say it again. The more you allow conflict to remain unresolved, the farther you are from being who God's called you to be. So you just got to know that. Decide what's more important. Do I want to be closer to who God's called me to be, or do I want to maintain my line here because I'm right? They were the ones who were wrong. I was the one who was right. All right, let me shift, and we're going to talk about the cure. There's seven ways to biblically resolve conflict. I'll try to move somewhat quickly through these, but I hope you get them. Again, you've got notes in the app or in the bulletin. We think you're smarter with a pen, so if you've got one, maybe you want to write these down. Number one, act first. Act first. We have to take the initiative. Listen, meet the problem where it meets you. When something happens, go right into it and deal with the problem. Don't wait for the other person to come. Because listen, even if they started it, mommy, they started it. It's their fault. Even if they started it. I don't know if you realize this, but as Christians, the Bible says that when somebody sins against you, listen, I'm going to say this real slow because it's really important. When somebody else sins against you, it becomes your problem to resolve. That's what it says. Let's look at Matthew 18, verse 15 through 17. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. Does it say wait for them to come and repent? If somebody sins against you, go. Someone does something wrong against you, go. It's your responsibility now. Congratulations. This is what it means to be a mature believer. It means you go first sometimes. Means you don't wait for other people to come. You go privately, point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won that person back. Another version says you've gained a brother. It's worthwhile to go. Because often that's what's going to happen. Especially if the other person loves Jesus and didn't mean to step on your toes. Didn't mean to offend you. They likely will. Repent, apologize, and you'll win somebody. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others and go with you back again. Notice it doesn't say to do that first. It doesn't say when someone offends you, go and talk to two or three other people about it and decide what you think about them and who they are and who they're not and how they're going to respond. No, 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 no. That's what we usually do, which is why most people handle conflict poorly. Because when someone offends them, they don't go to the person. They go to other people who can't do anything about the problem. This is why it says go. Now, if you go and you're unsuccessful, then take two or three others, brothers and sisters in Christ, by the way. Don't, don't have conflict. Let me just, this is not in my notes, but let me say this. If you have conflict with someone in the church, do not go to people outside of the church and ask for their wisdom and insight on what you should do about this. I've run into this so many times where people have conflict with church people and they'll go to unchurched people and plead their case and build up this invisible army and then go tell the other person, well, all my friends said this about you and said this about this. Listen, if you're unchurched, if you're far from God, we love you. We hope you come. But if you're in the church and you need to grab two people, you find the two most mature Christians around you and bring them in and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Um, First of all, what do I need to own? 
Help me figure out what I need to repent of, and then will you come with me to talk to this other person? If you bring a problem to me about someone in the church, I'm going to talk to them about it. We're not going to do this. Don't tell anybody. That's not what the Bible, it's not because I like conflicts, because that's not what God tells us about how to deal with it. Okay. So if you're unsuccessful, take two or three others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. Isn't Jesus sweet? <laughs> I have a friend who has a podcast called Sweet Jesus, and I just recorded an episode with him this week, but it's, it sort of pokes at this idea that Jesus is so sweet all the time. He's just so nice. Jesus just wants to nice, nice, nice you until you just love everybody. Except if you don't respond to church correction, he says to treat you as a pagan or a tax collector. <laughs> Sorry. He said it. By the way, to the church is church leadership. I don't want anybody ever coming up here and interrupting worship and telling me that Angela was mean to you. All right, Angela's never mean to anybody. That's why I pick her, pick her, pick on her. I only pick on people I love. Love you. Here's what I've also learned about conflict. Conflict is almost never resolved through time, and it's definitely not resolved accidentally. It doesn't just solve itself. People say this, time heals everything. How many of you ever heard that? Time heals everything. Bull. No, it doesn't. Time does not heal anything, actually. Humans are incredibly adaptable, so we will adapt. But adaptation and healing are two different things. So we learn to live with stuff. When we lose people that we love, it may seem like time heals. But listen, if I just take about 15 seconds and really just forget all of y'all are here, forget I'm on stage, and I start to meditate and ponder on someone that I love that I lost, I realize that I never actually like heal from that. It still hurts the same way if I just give myself a moment to think about it. What's happened is I've learned how to process and adapt. But if you've got people walking around in the land of the living among you that you have conflict with and you just ignore it and you think you're getting healing, you're probably not. You're probably just adapting because healing that issue means you go and deal with that issue. The truth is most of the time, time makes things worse. Like what do you think would happen if this speaker fell on me and gashed my thigh open and I'm, you know, bleeding everywhere and I just go, I'm not going to touch it. I'm just going to let some time happen. That thing's going to get infected and it's going to fester and I might lose my leg, right? Sometimes we got to go deal with stuff. And people say, oh, I don't want to deal with conflict. I'm scared. I'm uncomfortable. I don't know what to do. Well, I'm glad you came to church today. I'm helping you. I'm telling you what to do. If you need help, come and ask for it. We'll help you. But fear of conflict is not new. It's not original. If you experience that, it's okay. It's okay if it's hard. It's okay if it's hard. It's just not okay to not obey. But this feeling, this feeling of avoidance goes all the way back to the garden. It's actually the very first thing that Adam and Eve did when they sinned was they went and hid from conflict. Genesis 3.10 says this. Adam telling God, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. First thing he did when he sinned was to run and hide. To run and hide from God. It's amazing, isn't it? And by the way, when it says he was naked, I, he was naked, but it also is conveying this idea of being exposed and being vulnerable. And sometimes we avoid the problem because we don't want to be vulnerable about a situation. The truth of the matter is, almost every conflict you're going to find yourself in, you have a part to play in. And you know it, and that's why you actually don't go deal with it. That's, that's usually the reason. All right. How do you find the courage to take this step? 2 Timothy 1, 7 says this. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. 
It says this, perfect love casts out all fear. Let me tell you, when your love for somebody is greater than your fear about a situation, you will do things you're afraid of in the name of love. So if you find yourself afraid to go deal with something, I would encourage you to go, well, do I love them enough? Do I love God enough? And let love overcome your fear. Here's a question for you, just a little check-in, see how everybody's doing. Over the last 10 minutes while I've been talking, who have you been thinking about? Everybody's probably got somebody. Who have you been thinking about? I want you to picture that person, picture that relationship, that source of conflict as I move into number two. And I'm going to go through the rest of these a little faster than the first one. But number two, own your part. Own your part. The Bible calls this humility. Even if I know you're better than everybody else and it's only .0000009% your fault, own your part. Own your part when you go to someone. Don't go accusing them. Go and own what you can own first. And then share with them about how you feel, about what's going on. I'll tell you this. uh, I've become a professional uh, repenter. (laughs) Not because I'm so holy, but because I'm so messed up. We have to learn how to own our part when we make a mistake or when we sin actively against God or someone. Own your part. Uh, so I'm not, how many of you, are, don't raise your hand actually. I don't really want to know. Just how many of you are on TikTok? Don't raise your hand. Um, so I tried out TikTok for like two weeks and I realized it was one of the worst decisions I ever made in my life uh, to put that app on my phone. It was pretty terrible. So it's gone never to come back again. Uh, if you like TikTok, God bless you. Um, just be holy on there. That's all I'm going to say. But in the two weeks I was on there, I did come across one thing that was really interesting. And, uh, and another reason to not be on TikTok, even if it's holy, is it can really waste some time. So I found myself sitting here, and I found this, pay, this guy's page popped up, and I, I didn't re-download the app to double-check, so maybe you've seen it, and maybe I have this a little wrong, but I think he was called the Cartnark. And the Cartnark page, I got on his page, and I see one of his videos, and I was like blown away by it. So then I'm just sitting there watching each video. And what the Cartnark does, and I don't recommend this, he's a little confrontational, uh, not in necessarily a great way, but this Cartnark guy will go to like Costco or Walmart or whatever, and he'll find somebody who comes and they unload their cart, and then they just leave it there. And they don't put it back in the cart return where you're supposed to. You know what I'm talking about? Don't be that person, please, for God's sake. Put the cart away. They'll find him, and, and he's like, where's this vest? Like, he's, you know, a security something. Uh, again, I don't recommend it, but it was entertaining um, and also deeply disturbing. So he would come up to people and, and say, hey, you're going to put your cart back where it belongs. Really simple, right? Like, that's not where it goes. Can you put it back? And what was amazing was almost every person, like, immediately wanted to fight him and kill every person that he knows. Because they pointed out something that this person had done wrong. And it was really, really simple. They just didn't put the cart back where it goes. So he goes in and he finds these people and he's like, hey, you know, and by the, again, I don't recommend doing this, but he's like, hey, you didn't put your cart back in the right spot. And then he has these magnets <clears throat> to like shame them <laughs> and humiliate them, like toss them onto their car, you know, and then <laughs> this big magnet, like I don't return carts or something like that. Or I'm lazy or I'm unconsiderate. I don't know what they say. They said something. But then the people, why don't you put something on my car? I'm going to, you know, and they come out and guys, you know, I've, I've got a gun. I'm going to come. I mean, it gets really dark or really fast. Um, but, and I, in about 10 minutes of scrolling through these Cartnark videos, only one person did I see go, oh man, you're right. I should have put that back. It's like the most simple thing in the world to do. Or like, 
and he didn't pick on like women with children. This was like grown men most of the time by themselves, you know, no issue, no mitigating circumstance. I know your mind's like, well, but he could have picked on the wrong. No, he went to people who had no problem pushing their own cart, unloading their own stuff. They're just lazy and inconsiderate, didn't put it back. And so he calls them out and they just want to yell and cuss and fight. And it's absolutely crazy. But how many of you like being told when you did something wrong? Especially when it's like super obvious like that. Hey, bud, you want to put that back? No, I don't. That's like our, we don't even think. We just react. You know what I'm saying? It's like a reflex. I'm right. I know. I don't care what you say. I'm right. It's not good. Own your part. All right. Jesus has something to say about owning your part, especially before you talk to other people. Matthew 7 He says, why do you notice the little piece of dust in your friend's eye, but you don't notice the big piece of wood in your own eye? First, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll clearly see the splinter in your friend's eye. How many of you ever had some dust in your eye? Yeah, I remember one time we were building a, uh, like a pergola, an arbor over our back deck, and me and a few friends were building this thing together, and we're out there, and I'm sawing this uh, rough-cut cedar, you know, and it's real, like, splintery, and a piece of wood, like, flew into my eye. There it is. And I'll tell you, the minute that that thing went into my eye, nothing in the entire world mattered except getting it out. You've been there before? You get something in your eye, it's like, drop everything, don't speak to me, I don't care, nothing else matters. I'm in there, and I'm under the sink with the water going in my eye, and while I'm doing that, I felt the Lord said, this is how I want you to deal with sin. As soon as you feel it, you drop everything and get it out. All right, I got to keep going. There's so many things to preach in here. Let's go to number three. Number three, listen for the hurt. When you're talking to people, listen for the hurt. Here's the deal. You've all heard it. Hurt people hurt people. When I get hurt, when you get hurt, we tend to hurt other people in our lives. So usually when people are, and they don't want to put the cart back, there's some kind of pain in their life. That maybe if you listen for you can help be an agent of healing. By the way, don't forget this. Hurt people also help people. If you're waiting for the perfect person to come and receive your healing, you'll be waiting for a while. You better talk to Jesus. He's the only one. And also, if you're waiting for yourself to get perfect before you're willing to help other people, you're waiting too long. Because even in your pain, you can bring freedom to others. That's part of what we do in spiritual family. We walk together. But we have to learn to listen. James 1.19 says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone, say everyone, should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Listen, if you didn't have a good granddaddy who told you this like mine did, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. Listen twice as much as you speak. I want to encourage you to practice reflective listening as well. When you're listening to people, here's a good little tip for free. When somebody talks, do this. I promise this will help every single relationship you have. When someone shares something with you, say, what I think I heard you say is, and tell them back what you think they just told you. What I think I heard you say was, is that what you said? Nope, that's not what I said. Cool, say more. Let's do it again. And keep going until you get that right. Because at least then you know you're communicating. The problem is most of the time we talk, they talk. We talk, they talk. And it's this volleyball game and nobody's really listening. We're just thinking about what we want to say next. This is why James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Number four, consider their perspective. Put yourself in other people's shoes. How? Here's how. Philippians 2, 4 through 5. Not looking into your own interests... But each of you, to the interest of others, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus, who gave up everything for you. 
So when you're listening, consider someone else's perspective. Number five, speak the truth in love. Everybody say love. Oh, you got to like get that L in there. Say love. Yeah, that sounds better. Speak the truth in love. Listen, we have to avoid and refuse to use truth as a club. This is part of the reason that the Big C Church, and I'm not going to critique the church a lot because it's Jesus' bride. I'll let him deal with people. I'm not going to do it too much. But I will say, this is one little issue the church has, is sometimes we can use the truth as a big bat and hit people over the head with it. That doesn't work well. Like, do you want somebody to tell you the truth that way? Come here. Pow, dummy. Why don't you know the truth about this? It doesn't work. So let's use truth in love. Proverbs 12, 18 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. My God, if I had to learn this the hard way. Truth without love is almost always resisted. Truth wrapped in love is almost always at least considered. So do it. Number six, focus on solutions. You've only got a certain amount of emotional energy when you deal with conflict. So figure out as quickly as you can, what does it look like to win? How do we make this better? If you're the one who's offended someone, what can I do to make it right? Focus on the solution more than the problem. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you must also rid yourself of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. It doesn't solve anything just to lob insults at people and to keep fighting over the thing. Move past your feelings of conflict and move towards a place of resolution. This will help you actually, guess what, gain resolution. If you just want to keep fighting over the thing, that's as far as you're going to get. That's as far as you're going to get. And lastly, as I close, number seven, value the relationship. Value the relationship. Listen, reconciliation means reestablishing the relationship. Resolution means resolving every issue. There's a difference between the two. You may not be able to resolve every issue with someone you have conflict with, but you can come to a place of reconciliation. I know this sounds kind of crazy, but did you know that you can actually have a loving relationship with someone without agreeing with them on every single thing? I look around this room and there's many people in here who I have had conflict and differing opinions with. And we're in here today because we love each other anyway. And because most of the time they were right and I had to go and repent because I'm a professional repenter. You should be too. Of course you can. You can learn to disagree without being disagreeable. That's called being wise. That's called wisdom. And just in case you were unclear, it is always more rewarding to resolve conflict than to dissolve the relationship. It's no fun to dissolve relationships. You, 99% of the time, you have the power to resolve whatever conflict you're in. You might not see it right now. Maybe you need to pray and ask the Holy Spirit. Usually if you can't see how to resolve it, it's because you haven't done your part yet. Maybe you have. Some conflicts are never gonna be resolved as far as it's possible for you be at peace with all men. The last thing I'll tell you is you can't make peace with people until you've made peace with God. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, Therefore there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, and that is Christ Jesus. Some of you might have unresolved conflict because you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet. I'll tell you this right now. If I'm not doing it Jesus' way, i got a lot more problems than I have right now. In fact, almost every problem I have is because I did something 
not Jesus' way. So you want to resolve the tensions and conflict in your life as far as it is possible, up to you? That's the starting point. You need peace in your heart. Decide I'm going to do things Jesus' way. Go ahead and bow your heads and pray. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for your word, and I thank you for people. Lord, I thank you that you didn't save us and call us, Lord, to, to just be a part of nothing and to just sit on a cloud and play a harp and just look at you all day long. You're awesome, God. We love you, but you saved us into a family. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help each and every one of us to evaluate our hearts. First, to determine if we have peace with you. That's the first conflict to resolve. And Lord, once we've resolved that, help us, God. Help us to learn how to make peace with the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.